face seeable. Good morning. Happy Easter. Man, I'm glad you guys are joining us to celebrate Easter, something we would traditionally say every Easter. If people are in the room today, we would say this. We would say, he is risen, and everyone would respond and say, he is risen indeed. And I know it's a little weird because you're just sitting in with your family, but uh, let's do it anyways, okay? Let's keep tradition. Let's try and keep as much normal as we can. So here we go. He is risen. Yeah, it's definitely really weird sitting in a room and nobody responded. I hope you guys responded. Man, for those of you who don't know, my name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you joined us uh, for this Easter service. Uh, things are weird, right? It, it, I mean, things have changed. Things are different. Things aren't the way we'd always expect an Easter Sunday to be or really our lives to be. And there's really been nothing that hasn't been touched by the effects of this pandemic. Point in case is our Easter service, but I'm glad that you're joining us today. There's, uh, there's some weird things about the celebration of Easter. One of them this year is this, that we're celebrating in this way, that we can't actually gather together. Uh, our Easter icon, oh my goodness. Can we all just have like a moment of silence and mourning for our 20,000 Easter eggs that would have been dropped from a helicopter yesterday when it was 73 degrees and sunny? Oh, maybe the greatest disappointment I've had so far of this whole thing. Anyways, <laughs> um, th things are weird about Easter. But, you know, even every year, things are weird about Easter, not just around here. I mean, someone pointed out yesterday that last Easter was the Easter that our big screens, which you can't actually see um, all across here, we showed up at 6 a.m. on Easter Sunday morning, and they had snapped the cables and fallen and crashed to the stage, and we had like two hours to totally redo our Easter experience. Or the years before that, when we came in on a Saturday for a rehearsal and found that we'd been robbed of all of our sound equipment. It seems to be that Easter's always a bit odd, but there's something weird about Easter itself. There's something irregular about Easter itself. The words that we use to talk about Easter seem like such an antithesis to the ministry of Jesus. Here's what I mean. Um, uh, one of the words, the phrases that we'll use is we'll talk a lot around Easter about being robbed, right? That Jesus robbed death, that he robbed the grave. We use words like crushed, killed, destroyed, conquered. And so many of these words in some way seem so opposite of the rest of Jesus's ministry. For three years, he's He's, he's inviting people to come to see the kingdom of God come with reconciliation and restoration and healing and taking the things that are broken and bringing them back together. And yes, we have like the temple and him overturning the tables, but that was just a small moment in his ministry. We have these other parts that are so much more emblematic of his ministry where he's like loving the broken people and he's gathering broken and, and rejected people around and he, he's, he's, he's shepherding them, he's loving them, all these kind of like... Um, gentle and restorative words. And then we come to Easter and we're like, he's robbed them, crushed it, destroyed it, right? It's all this like really aggressive kind of, and one of the words that we use that's a little weird in the rest of scripture is the word empty. Like one of our celebrations of Easter is the emptiness. 
Just think about this. Um, there are a few other times in your life where you rejoice over something being empty, right? Toilet paper roll, empty. The bitterness and anger of whoever is hoarding all the toilet paper in the world just wells up in you, right? Uh, if you go to your refrigerator, because, you know, we're all healthy, clean eating, and so when you go to get your kale, right, and you open up your refrigerator and it's empty, right? That's not like a great rejoicing. When you log on to your bank account or you go on your bank account <laughs> app and it's empty, that's not a good celebration. There's not a lot of things in life that we celebrate when they're empty. I mean, empty is the lack of. A gas tank, when your gas tank's empty, that's not like the great rejoicing, especially if you have a spouse that you either share a vehicle with or sometimes they drive your vehicle and they were driving at last and then you get in the vehicle, or if you have a teenager and they use your vehicle and you go to get in your vehicle on a Monday morning to drive to work and it's empty, that doesn't well up rejoicing in you. There was, there was a time a couple years ago a group of us went to go to the men's getaway deal thing that we normally do would be coming this coming weekend um, to go to Eastern Oregon. And if you don't know this, Eastern Oregon's a long ways away. And um, we'd go to this place and there's this cowboy dinner tree place and they give you a third of a cow to eat and then a baked potato that won a state fair for massiveness, right? And, 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 you, you, and one of the rites of passages is you gotta eat all of it, right? When you order a chicken... When you order chicken, it's half of a chicken. Not like a Cornish game hen. It's half a, they take a full-grown chicken and cut it in half and give you one side and someone else eats the other side. It's an immensely ridiculous amount of food. And so there was a group of us. There was um, me and five other guys that were going to go out. And um, so we took my parents' Winnebago. Oh, man. My parents don't have it anymore, but this Winnebago, it was a beaut. It was it was every 80s dream you could have imagined, right? And so it's this 80s Winnebago. It was awesome. Had this big old Ford engine in it, right? And one of the Ford engines, you know, it's one of the Winnebagos where the engine kind of comes in. And so there's the compartment in the middle between you and the passenger that gets really hot after a really long time because the engine's like right, you're sitting on the engine basically. And uh, there was enough of us going that one of the guys had one of those pop-up tent trailers um, that we were going to tow as well. And so we were everybody's favorite fan going through the pass, you know, with this huge Winnebago and this, this pop-up tent trailer. And, you know, the thing about pop-up tent trailers, I was thinking when they were telling me, I'm like, pop-up, light, tent, light, trailer makes things lighter. Pop-up tent trailer should be a light thing. no. Pop up it's ridiculous how sticking heavy that thing is. And so we're towing this thing over to Eastern Oregon. It's supposed to be like a five-hour drive with the Winnebago towing the trailer. It's like 17 hours, right? And so we get over there, and we do all of our stuff, and then we go to come back. And it's a long ways from where we stay to getting anywhere close to civilization. And we get out there, and we didn't realize how far it was. I mean, you get out there, and then you get on a gravel road, and you have like 20 minutes to where you're going on a gravel road. And so we get out there, and we're almost out of gas. But it's like, yeah, it's, it's not that big a deal, right? We, we can get gas on our way back. We drove past a gas station. So we go to leave on Sunday, and we're leaving. And we go to pull up this gas station that we saw coming on our way in. And we pull up this gas station, and you walk up the door, and it just says permanently closed. Right? And we're like, oh. 
I mean, we are all on empty. Like we are, and this is one of those rigs, like Winnebago gets like three gallons to a mile kind of, kind of rig. And so, so we decide we got to get all the way to Lapine. We've got, I don't know what it was, 40 miles. We've got to travel on empty, on fumes. And so I have never so gingerly ridden the gas pedal as in that moment. And we're just all praying. We're all praying because you can't push a Winnebago with a trailer, right? Like if you run out of gas, you're just stuck in the middle of the freeway, in the middle of the highway. And so we're just, we're just feathering it and we come to a hill and we're just feathering it and we're losing speed as we climb up the hill, just trying not to push the gas too hard because you don't want like that big old engine to all of a sudden, and then just suck in all the gas, right? So we're just barely pulling, and we come to this highway. I don't even know what the highway is. It goes up through Lapine and, and all the way up through Bend, whatever that highway is, 97 or something like that. And we come up, and right on our right, there's a gas station. And now, I'll tell you, in the whole 40 miles or whatever it was that we drove, we never once stopped at a stop sign. I know I probably shouldn't tell you that publicly, but hey, there was a police officer in the passenger seat, so I felt like we were okay. And so we would roll through these stop signs so we could keep our momentum going. And we come up, and we're coming up to 97, and we've been pegged for like 10 miles, right, just to nothing. And, and uh, we're long past the light being on, all that kind of stuff. And so we, we uh, come rolling up to the the, um, uh, up to the intersection, and, and it's, it's this four-lane highway, right, that's going both directions, and the whole time, we're all just praying, just please don't be any cars, don't be any cars, we're just going, we're going, we're going, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go, so we just roll through this thing, like 50 miles an hour, luckily, there's no cars coming, and we pull in this gas station, we pull, and we stop at the gas station, we go, and we fill up, and it's like $700 to fill up this gas tank, right, and so we fill up the gas tank, we were so low on gas, I fired it back up, and it's not a fuel injected, so it, it's just using the, 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 the vacuum of the line. I fire it back up, and I go to push the gas to pull away from it, and it goes, put out of And they all kind of laugh, like, oh, that's funny, Sean, that's funny. And I'm like, no, seriously, we just ran out of gas because we were so close that there was air in the line from the gas tank, right? It wasn't a moment of rejoicing that we were empty on gas. There are few things in our life that we rejoice that they're empty. Even in the Bible, empty, things that are empty are generally of bad connotation, right? I, I got a whole collection of verses for you. Isaiah 16, 6, it says this. We have heard of Moab's pride. How great is her arrogance of her conceit, her pride, and her insolence, but her boasts are empty. Isaiah 30, verse 7. Even Egypt whose help is vain and empty. Therefore I have called her Rahab, who has been exterminated. Zephaniah 3.6, I have destroyed the nations, their strongholds are demolished. I have left their streets deserted, with no one passing through. Their cities are laid waste, they are deserted and empty. Not verses of blessing and rejoicing. Even Ephesians 5, verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Empty, empty almost always is not good. It's the lack of, it's the, I, I mean, think of, think of the, the women who first found the tomb empty. Think of their response. It wasn't rejoicing. It wasn't, oh, yay, the tomb is empty, right? They say, where have you taken him? Where is he gone? Our Savior, our Messiah, our Lord, where has he gone? Where have you taken him? It's a time of mourning and fear. 
because it's empty. Because it's empty. The disciples later realize the goodness and the beauty of the emptiness, but maybe you know the darkness of empty in your life. Maybe you know the pain and the loneliness and the wretchedness that you feel when you realize the emptiness, when you're empty of purpose, when you're empty of purpose, when in all of this everything seems to be in vain and life seems to simply be spinning in circles and you feel empty, like that's not a good feeling full of rejoicing. When you're empty of self-dignity, when you're emptied of love, when you're emptied of grace and patience for one another and for yourself, when you're emptied of second chances, when either by your own awareness or by something that someone else says to you, it becomes very clear there are no more second chances for you and your chance for redemption feels empty. That's not a time of rejoicing. When you're empty of hope, when you're empty of faith, when all that consumes your mind and your thoughts day in and day out is fear and worry and doubt and you find yourself empty, it's a cavernous place of darkness and fear. First Peter 1.18 tells us this. He says, For we know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. You see, the, the message of the gospel is that God is trying to redeem and restore you from the emptiness of this world, from the emptiness of the stories, from the emptiness of the purpose, from the emptiness of the pursuit of career or recognition or wealth or comfort, from the emptiness of those things. The message of the gospel is that God is redeeming and restoring and buying back and drawing you out from the empty words, the empty ways of life that we live in. I think one of the really stark realities that this pandemic thing has brought to our attention is how empty so many things in our life that we used to put hope and confidence in have quickly become. And sitting at home... So many of us have come to such a self-awareness of so much we built our life around was empty and worthless and hopeless. There was a philosopher who was studying nihilism, um, and it's this idea that there's no purpose, that there's no meaning, that nothing has any meaning. Um, it's a very dark philosophy, and he says this, in the culmination of nihilistic thought, there remains one question to be asked is today the day I die. You see, what the gospel's inviting us to is away from the emptiness of this world, away from the emptiness, the void of our pursuits and our passions and our stuff and our comfort that in no way satisfies the deepest yearnings of our soul. Almost never throughout our life and even throughout Scripture is empty 
seen as good until Easter. Because you see, the tomb is empty so that we might be filled. The tomb is empty. Jesus takes our place and the tomb is empty. The grave is empty. Death is empty. Uh, Brokenness is empty. Despair is empty. Rejection is emptied because of Jesus and his resurrection that the words of John 10.10 might be true, that I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. One translation I really like, it says this, that you might have life and you might have it to the full. That in this world of empty promises and empty hopes and empty aspirations and empty comforts, that in Jesus, because of the cross and his resurrection, you might be made full. That you might be made full with life to overflowing. There's a passage in Colossians. Colossians 2, verse 6. It says this. This is the gospel. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Shouldn't that be our posture? Overflowing with gratitude. See to it. That no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. There's our word again, right? What the world has to offer, the hope and the confidence and the comfort and the security of the things of this world are empty. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, being Jesus, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. Another translation says you have been made full. Because the empty tomb, you've been made full. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of death of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. Hear hear that right there. What's important to celebrate in Easter is what is empty. And what is empty is the tomb. And because the tomb is empty, what is empty is the condemnation. For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is empty is the record of debts that you've accumulated against God. What is empty are the accusations. What is empty is the weight of the shame. What is empty is the conviction against you. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. He made a public 
display. Now, this verse 15, it's hard to understand or see all the beautiful picture of what Paul's writing to the Colossian people about what it means for the tomb to be empty, for the debts to be emptied, for the shame, for the conviction, for, for, the, for the punishment, for the wrath of God to have been emptied on to Jesus on the cross for the tomb to be empty and for all those things to be emptied away from our record that we might find life to the full in Jesus. It's hard to see all of it because there's so much cultural things wrapped up into it. But maybe, maybe if we hear it from a couple other versions, you might hear it a little better. It says this in that verse 15 in the message. He says this, he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross. Just just that one sentence, just hear that. That the good news of Easter, of the resurrection of our Lord, that he died on the cross, and it says says in Colossians, nailing all the debts, nailing all the accusation against us to the cross, that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, leaving an empty tomb where there's only life for those who choose to follow him. That in doing all of that, that he He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross. And this says this, I love this. And marched them naked through the streets. Common English Bible, it says it this way. When he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he exposed them to public disgrace by leading them in a triumphal parade. You see, what these versions are trying to, to, to trying to paint a picture for us that they just can't do in one verse is, is a cultural tradition that the Colossians and Paul would have been very familiar with. You see, nations would go to war just as they do today. And when one nation conquered another nation, what they would do is they would take all of the most powerful people that were still alive. That's why a lot of times you see in um, Eastern cultures or in ancient cultures, um, uh, the, the highest people actually um, killing themselves so that they're not captured. Because what they would do to the most powerful people and their family members is that they would strip them and beat them and they would take them back to the capital city. And in celebration of a conquering king, that the threat had been destroyed, that they'd been overcome, that there was a new ruler and a new king who had dominion over those people. They would take these people who'd set themselves up as powerful in another nation, who they had crushed, and they would take them and they would walk them down the center streets of their towns as a parade. And they would mock them and they would spit on them and they'd insult them. And it would go as a trophy, as a demonstration of the might of that king. You see, what what Paul is saying is that what we celebrate on Easter is that we get to be a part of a parade that brings all the dark things through the center of this universe and puts them naked and ashamed and embarrassed and makes a public spectacle of all the guilt and the brokenness and the burdens and the weight that you carry, a public spectacle running through the center of of the streets because Jesus has conquered them. In the cross and in the resurrection, Jesus has overcome, and he is a good king who invites us to come to the celebration. See, most days, most days, being empty is so crushing. Most days, 
Finding an emptiness in in you is dark and fearful and worrisome and painful. But on this day, on this day, when the guilt and the shame and the condemnation that was due us is emptied, laid on the cross, paying our debt, emptied, we come to a Savior who laid in a tomb on our behalf, and it's been empty, because not even death, not even death has power over him. This morning, this morning, man, if you find yourself at your wit's end, full of darkness, full of anxiety, full of fear, full of worry, full of brokenness, full of regret, full of shame, full of a burden of the weight of your past that you've done or other people have done to you, would you know this morning the invitation to you is to allow your soul to be emptied of all those things just like the tomb. Because of the payment on the cross, the condemnation that was due you, the shame that you've been carrying, the guilt that weighs you down, the regret that changes you, the fear that consumes you, and the worry that directs you can be emptied as well. And that the words of John 10.10 can be true for you today. I've come that you might have life and you might have it to the full. This morning, maybe you've been walking with Jesus, but this like COVID thing and this pandemic and all the changes in life has really shooken you. And you've come to a realization where maybe you didn't have as much faith or trust in Jesus as you thought. Maybe this time has allowed some some wounds that you thought you'd healed up from uh, to, to resurface. The invitation to you today in the empty tomb is to come and allow Jesus to empty your soul of those weights. He says, my, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. To come and follow him. Maybe this morning, maybe this morning you've never followed Jesus. Maybe you, maybe, maybe you, you are like this philosopher who says, you know, the only question I have today is like, is today going to be the day I die? Because everything else seems to be pointless. My job, my relationships are fractured and broken or just not even there. My finances are in a pit. My health is a mess. Whatever it is, Jesus' invitation to you still stands today to come to him that he might empty you of the condemnation that was due you by him paying it on the cross that you might be made full and have life because of an empty tomb.